Welcome to Hockey Talk, ladies and gentlemen. We have Steve, Steve Fitzsimmons, Andy Clark. Behind the scenes, we have Adam Oliveira. And uh, another great show lined up for you this weekend. Uh, first up, we're going to be talking to Flint Firebirds of the OHL, their uh, Director of Media and Communications and their play-by-play -play guy. And after that, we have a pretty cool Clark Ives that you'll want to stay tuned for. We have more Hallman Motors Hockey Trivi Trivia Giveaway. And uh, we'll round it out with some NHL talk. Uh, we're going to update our Duclair Nylander relative value <laughs> chart and uh, see what conversation springs from that. But uh, first of all, we have via Skype uh, on the big board here, we have Dominic Hennig uh, talking to us from Michigan. Hey, Dom, how are you doing, man? Hey, Andy. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Dom, Dom's one of the bright uh, young play-by-play -play voices in our league and certainly, uh, you know, wouldn't be surprising to see him in the National Hockey League someday. But uh, Dom, you've had uh, quite an interesting journey to hockey, uh, to getting to the OHL. Uh, um, I actually didn't know your story and Andy was just telling me about it um, before we came on air. And uh, um, you started um, in, in an interesting place that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think uh, of hockey at. Tell, yeah, tell us I, about I it. Yeah, very blessed. Um, you know, I was able to get my start as a broadcaster in the communications uh, for hockey at the age of 14. Um, and uh, I'm a Detroit native. Uh, just happenstance, uh, my brother played for the team in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in the North American League, which is Tier 2 Junior A. And, um, you know, it just so happened through communicating and, and realizing some holes they had in their front office that I, I was able to um, you know work my way into becoming their broadcaster and then ended up being flown out to New Mexico or wherever the team was uh, every season every weekend um, and this is while I was a sophomore um, in high school uh, but um, it was like 10th uh, grade I believe or, or grade 10 for um, you know uh, the viewers and uh, I uh, it just was very lucky to be able to fly out every weekend and, and miss, you know, Thursday, Friday of school, call hockey games. And then uh, from Santa Fe in the North American League, I went, went to NCAA Division One to a university in Michigan, uh, Ferris State University, who was in the same conference as Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. And uh, spent six years there, and, and they went for a national championship run, a run, a Frozen Four appearance. And... Uh, which is you know very unheard of for a school of that size and um and then when when the plymouth whalers moved to flint in 2015 i was fortunate enough to get that position um as well so uh here i am now year five in the ohl it's been quite a few years in, in hockey but uh you know it's one of those things where you don't feel like you work you you love working in the sport and, and very blessed and very lucky and fortunate to be part of it yeah i uh was reading some information online where uh, with your brother being down in Santa Fe, that if I have my facts correctly, it was actually his uh, billet family or his billet mother or whatever you want to call it, uh, is rather, how should we say, uh, wealthy. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, billionaire, uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it turned out she ended up buying the team that your brother was playing on. And uh, of course, you were out for a visit and uh, there was a single camera feed and you uh, started your uh, broadcasting doing play-by-play -play on that single camera internet feed and developed it a little bit that year. It actually, I got a real kick. Uh, you were saying uh, one of the weekends you were back at school in Detroit, you're back in your grade 10 and 
Oh. Teacher was giving you the gears about, oh, your homework's not done. What were you playing video games all weekend? <laughs> and I'm not sure what you would say in that situation. Well, no, a billionaire flew me across the continent to uh, call some tier two hockey games. <laughs> I, like, yeah, that must have been a crazy situation. It, it was, uh, and you're spot on. Uh, it was my brother's built-up mother who um, was was very wealthy. She had a mansion in the mountains of Santa Fe, New Mexico, with uh, you know workers out front doing yard work and a gated house and and the whole nine, six or seven cars in the parking lot. I mean, you can't even make. I mean, this is what sounds like what you make it up, but it was all 100% true. And yeah, I mean, at that point, you're you're a sophomore in high school and and you're living that lifestyle and. I was letting my grades slip a bit, and I remember my teacher did say when I came back, you know, what were you doing playing, you know, video games all weekend? And I was just like, only if you could imagine, you know, what I was doing this weekend. So, um, you know, it got to the point where, you know, I think we, uh, my parents, you know, had a focus on high school or on school, and um, that following year I took off. And then, um, you know, there was a, a, a single A professional level uh, league that came to the Midwest, the AAHL, the All American Hockey League. League, um, and they had a team called the Detroit Dragons. I called their games for a year, um, and then went to Flint. Um, or pardon me, Ferris State in, in Division One college hockey. So, uh, quite the quite the path, uh, path that's probably less traveled. Uh, but at the end of the day, I can't say it enough. I mean, truly, I mean it. I'm just so thankful for for the openings that have happened for me. And uh, of course, I still hope those openings still come. You know, on, my, on the way to the way of the National Hockey League. Now, Detroit's such a hotbed for hockey in the States. And, uh, of course, uh, you had, what, one or two brothers play in the Honey Baked uh, AAA program? Yeah, just one. Uh, I have one brother. Uh, he's three years older than me, and he was uh, an 88, uh, 1988 birth year. Um, drafted by Kitchener, uh, but, you know, American went, went the, the NCAA route instead to Ferris State. And yeah, had some success in, with the Honey Baked, uh, Detroit Honey Baked Triple Youth Hockey Club as well. So you were uh, uh, mentioning the other day, and I noticed it's on Twitter there, that uh, one of your uh, brother's teammates is now uh, pretty much a shoe in eventually for the Hall of Fame. And uh, you, you used to be kind of the stick guy for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't really talk about it too often. It just happened to be ironic that it came up on the air for you and I when. Uh, you joined me for a color in Guelph with Flint Andy, and then again, um, you know, I posted something on social media the other day as well. Uh, it's one of those fads going on that said, you know, tell me a story that sounds like a lie, but it's 100% true. And with with that being the case, it was you know my brother uh, was on a, a, a line with Patrick Kane um, with the Detroit Honey Bay AAA team. They were Bantam Majors, I believe. Um, and uh, that story I put on Twitter was just. Uh, you know, again, tell me a story that sounds fake, but it's 100% true. It's Kane would always ask me to, if, if I could tape his sticks and then ask me, you know, pick which one, which was for the good luck charm. And, you know, I put on Twitter, um, you know, uh, soon to find out or come to find out I wasn't the good luck charm. It was him this whole time. So <laughs> Yeah, Patrick kind of made some of his own luck there with his uh, skill. Eh? Unusual to see a, an OHL team retire a, a jersey number um, with only one year played. Um, Patrick Kane, of course, playing for the London Knights. They just retired his jersey number 88 um, last week, I guess, or the week before. And, um, you know, I mean, he just had a season for the ages that year, um, playing on a line with, 
with Sam Gagne and Sergei Kostitsyn, both, of course, former, for, well, Sam still plays in the NHL, but Sergei did for quite a while. And, uh, you know, he made such an impact and, of course, was drafted first overall from the London Knights. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting, uh, but uh, very impactful in such a short time. I think so. I mean, he put up 145 points in 58 games. You know, that's always uh, going to help, or 62 goals in 58 games for that, rather. And then, yeah, you mentioned it, you go on to be the first overall pick um, in, you know, the NHL draft. That helps. Then you win three cups in five years. You build a dynasty in Chicago. One of those cups, you score the game-winning goal. Uh, you're the, the cover of the, you know, EA Sports video game. And I think you won silver in the Olympics. Um, as well, and, and arguably, I think he, he may be the best American to ever play the game by the time his career is done, or, or noted known as one of. Um, so, if I'm London, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe one year doesn't seem like you know you retire that number, but why not latch on to that type yeah. of you know icon in the sport? And why not uh, keep in mind it's not necessarily for Kane and his number, but think about. You know all the players that come through and you think of prospects and corporate partnerships and season ticket holders if you could have the name pat kane in your rafters why wouldn't you so props to the london knights good for them uh on doing that and um, goes to show the class act organization they continue to be year in and year out yeah they certainly continue to uh, to produce players and and quality teams year in year out there's no argument there uh let's talk about the flint firebirds uh Obviously uh, doing well. They're in fifth in the Western Conference. They have, uh, you know, the capability perhaps of even winning the conference the way it's going. They're only nine points back of the Kitchener Rangers in first place. And it is a crazy Western Conference this year. It is. You guys would know more than me probably when it comes to the Ontario League. This is only my fifth year here. I've never seen it. Um, so close top to bottom you're starting to see a little bit of separation now it seems like there's a bit of separation between fourth and fifth with Windsor and Flint and a bit of separation between fifth and sixth with Flint and Guelph now that the Firebirds won the last two uh, games against Guelph this past weekend however um, you know uh, it, I guess it doesn't really matter how close the standings are at the end of the day if you just win your games, then you know you'll take care of business your own. It sounds cliche, but it couldn't be more of a fact when you think about it. And the Firebirds can do that themselves this weekend. They play in Windsor, or I guess by the time this airs, they would have played in Windsor last night on Thursday, um, and then they play in uh, against Kitchener on home ice Saturday as well. So. You win those two games, there's four points, and they're essentially four-point swings in games. You find yourself in a pretty good situation for the Firebirds. But since 2015, this is the best this club has ever done. Um, it's They're breaking records left and right in terms of franchise goals, four assists, points, games played, consecutive games, win streaks, uh, being in the top ten rankings in the 60-team in the CHL. Uh, this team has broke almost every record possible for the, its own franchise since 2015. Uh, right now they're on a four-game winning streak in this past week. For the first time ever in franchise history, they acquired all eight points in a calendar week from a Sunday to a Sunday. That's not easy to do at any level for any team to get all eight points in one week. You have to have four games in a week, let <laughs> yeah. alone uh, be able to win them all. And for, for Flint, three of them came on the road as well. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, this club has is, is obviously come a long ways. Um, and with that being the case, too, I, I think because a lot of the off-ice 
um, amenities and accommodations and the way that Flint is operating off the ice is the reason you're seeing Flint success on the ice today. Now with all this on ice success that we're talking about, we know that in Flint there's a lot of uh, competition there between, you know, it's a basketball hotbed and obviously football is like a religion down there. So uh, what kind of buzz is generating around the Firebirds uh, in the local community off the ice? Oh, you can see a buzz. It's, it's, it's tough because for Flint, if you think about it, they came in the league in 2015. The first year, obviously, was one that was very well documented in terms of uh, negative issues. In the second season, Flint made the playoffs. They hosted two games against the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. They won one of them, but was a first-round exit. And then from there, year three and four, they were second to last place back-to-back -back years. So three or four years are... Uh, nowhere close to success and that hurts when helping to try to build a franchise. I think if you were to start a franchise from scratch or move a franchise into a city, uh, number one rule would be don't finish in what my mind would be dead last three of the three of the first four years and the reason I say dead last is because if you finish second to last you don't even get the hype of the first overall pick either so to me that's the most dead last place you could be uh, and, and, and Flint did that but with that being the case and still in just a short term, um, you know, the Flint Firebirds are nowhere at the bottom when it comes to average attendance. They play in a 4,000-seat building. Through the door, I know that the club is up 12,000 tickets from a season ago, not paid, actually through the door. Uh, that says a lot about the, about this team right now. Um, and, and, and the Firebirds, uh, I think it's a great OHL market. The travel is minimal. Um, being in the U.S. helps, right? Players are paid in American dollars and what have you. Your, you know, your American colleges as well, in terms of what you have to pay and and put out and 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 the type of amenities they have here. And then, you know, we're an hour from a major sports town and having the Red Wings, the Pistons, the Tigers, the Lions, and we're an hour from the University of Michigan. You know, so um, it's a great place to live. Our players live in beautiful homes and you know on golf courses and and whatnot, and and are treated. Um, like royalty here and if you're asking me you know how's it to play or work for Flint I think they're in the upper echelon of the Canadian Hockey League I truly do it sounds biased but I have tons of reasons to go on about how good it truly is here in Flint Michigan I know certainly uh, you've tweeted at some pictures of uh, game day meals on the road where a lot of teams uh, would sort of rely on the buffet at the hotel where your organization uh, will bring outside catering and do it, do it to the nines for the players and uh, the media people around the team. Yeah, our equipment staff is the best in the OHL. Um, that's not a question uh, in terms of, you know, we have a, a equipment manager named Simon Payette. We're actually fortunate to have a full-time assistant equipment manager too, which is kind of rare at this level. Uh, they're the type of equipment staff who will pack all the gear up uh, before the players get to the rink and and head out. Um, to the arena, um, it, part of me to, to whoever playing. So, for instance, um, you know, Thursday we were in Windsor. Uh, Thursday by noon, U-Haul uh, truck set up and they're on their way to, to Windsor. Our players get to the rink at 3 o'clock. We jump on the bus, drive an hour and a half, get there, all our stuff set up, just like the NHL. Um, or we were just on that, you know, past weekend of the Peterborough-Kingston uh, Ottawa trip. Um, and coming back from Ottawa, we were staying in Kingston, but we played in Peterborough the next day. All our players dropped their gear off at the Kingston Arena at the Leon Center, formerly the K-Rock Center, 
um, and went to the hotel. And mind you, it was a Delta uh, on the water there in Kingston. Um, and then we woke up the next day, no pregame skate, and we got on the bus and drove straight to Peterborough, and all our gear was already there set up. So that means our equipment staff had to find a U-Haul company in Canada, in Kingston, get to that U-Haul company, bring it to the Kingston rink, load all the gear, go to Peterborough, set it all up, right? And our players touch nothing. And there's not a team like that operating in the OHL, if not the CHL. And you did bring up the meals as well, Andy. It's it's true. I mean, you know, some teams are eating the, 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 the pre-mixed eggs, you know, breakfast at the Holiday Inn and uh, not in Flint. You know, we rent the conference room out and we cater in, you know, real eggs, bacon, sausage, uh, fresh fruit and, and what have you so uh, and lastly you know we go day before to Kitchener Kitchener is known as being one of the haves and not the have-nots and uh, you know Kitchener comes day of to us and likewise with Guelph so um, just goes to show you that when it comes to you know the the true when you actually you know dive into how good it is to be in Flint Michigan or let me rephrase that to work for the Flint fire or to play for the Flint Firebirds um, they truly are probably top two, top three operating team in the entire CHL. And, you know, uh, when it comes to equipment, sticks, billets, houses, meals, travel, um, you know, it, it's it, it's good here. And you can start seeing that success happen on the ice now. And speaking of that on-ice success, uh, you had an interesting goal call recently that kind of went viral, I have to say, uh, all over Canada and the U.S. On, on a lot of the major sports networks. Um, from Evgeny Oksentuk, uh, the lacrosse Svechnikov goal that, uh, that he scored recently. And we're just going to play that goal, and then you can tell us about the whole experience of it and just uh, the media coverage that's come from it. But we'll play it right now. Pass off the stick of Perkley comes to the right corner for Oksentuk. Oksentuk, the lacrosse move, he did it! Oksentuk, the Andre Svechnikov. And the Firebirds are in the lead, 3-1. Oxen 2 picks the puck up behind the net. Lifts it in the air. And puts it top shelf over the goaltender's right shoulder. They call it the lacrosse move, the Michigan, the Andres. <laughs> yeah, people are still trying to figure out, you know, which one to... To settle on there, the Svechnikov, the lacrosse, the Michigan, yeah. So the first thing, Dom, did you have some sense that he might do that in a game at some point? No, not at all. And, and that's exactly where I was going to go is that video the last I checked um, throughout the various social media platforms was at 900,000 views <laughs> on, on social media alone, not Crazy. counting it making Sportsnet and TSN and ESPN in the States and whatnot on traditional television. So it's been seen by, you know, easily a million plus uh, people. However, um, you know, with that being the case, as everybody does in this business, and you know it all too well, Steve and Andy, is, you know, comes criticism from so many people. And, uh, you know, I, I was criticized for calling it the Andre Svechnikov. People said it was done, you know, and called it the Michigan first. And then people say it's not the Michigan. I forgot the other name they, they said of someone in Europe who, you know, so like there was so much criticism about it. And even from our own team, like, uh, I'm fortunate enough to be in our dressing room on a daily basis and the guy said you know it's the Michigan and then I just said guys first off no I've never seen that move ever in my life live I've never called that game or that type of goal but second off like when that happens you have a split second to come up with what your goal call is going to be and I went that direction of the Sveshnikov because that was most recent 
He's the only person who's done in the NHL this season at that point in time. And I went generic route and called the lacrosse. And, and I said, it's so difficult to say it and speak it and enunciate it. And you have all that with one second of a, one split second of a decision. But, um, you know, that's the direction I went. It was a great goal. Congratulations to Evgeny Oxen, too. This is a player who wasn't drafted a season ago in his NHL draft year. I think he will be as high as the third round this year. Um, he was on a league high 17 game point streak. That's another franchise record for Flint as well. Um, and, and from Belarus, and boy, has is, is he been a, a good player for this hockey club, and that was an impressive goal. You know, I think I can speak uh, coming from a very unique perspective. I thought you did a phenomenal job of that goal, to be honest. And, uh, you know, to, re to react so quickly, just split second, and have, uh, you know, those things to say. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking from my own terms, I'm not sure I could have, have done it so well. And so congratulations to you. And I, you know what, you're going to get criticized no matter what you do, one way or the other. Um, that's the nature of social media today, unfortunately. And you just have to let the haters hate and just ignore them. I've certainly had my fair share of that over the years as well. So uh, good job on that goal. I, I, oh, and thanks, I, Steve. And, and I don't want to take anything away from Oxentuk. I'll talk about him in a second. but. Uh, what kind of surprises me a little bit too is like I was like, I I seem to have a memory of uh, Sidney Crosby way back in in the Quebec Major Junior. And I just found it online right away, but he pulled off like uh, I know it wasn't NHL, but in 2003 he pulled one off in uh, Quebec Major Junior uh, uh, against uh, the Quebec Ramparts in 2003. It's funny he never done Rubisky. it in the NHL. Eh? And, and like this one only has 57,000 views, but I remember at the time there was a bit of a buzz when he did it in Canada made some highlights and stuff like that but so it, it has been done but I guess it, it hadn't been done at the NHL level and that's where it brought it to a whole new audience I think yeah I think you're probably right but uh, yeah it was in, it was quite interesting I've never seen it in the OHL before and so it was interesting the, to do see. you think that was the first OHL one it is to my knowledge yeah. I'm not positive about that but I I've been in the league for 19 years I've never seen it in that time and um, whether there was one before that I can't really for sure say but I've um, never heard of one either but I don't myself, think yeah. I don't not to my knowledge there hasn't been another one so a uh, unique uh, thing for you to call Dom for sure yeah um, but let's talk a little bit more about the Firebirds and obviously well, Evgeny Oxentuk is a great player and yeah, he's ranked say, yeah. uh, 79th by NHL Central Scouting and and you referenced your thoughts that he could go as high as the third round and certainly um, that would be right in the range of what Central Scouting feels about him but uh, an another key to, to the Flint Firebirds and of course a member of uh, Team Canada's World Junior Victors uh, Ty Delandria I mean what a special player Ty Delandria is um, per for me maybe the most well-rounded OHL player um, at a high level that there is Ty Delandria has meant um, the world when you, to this Flint Firebirds franchise. When you hear the name Ty Delandria, or let me rephrase that, when you hear a franchise player at the major league level, that's what Ty is. I, I brought up the you know, first year and the issue that you know the Firebirds went through, and, and his draft year was that exact year after the first season, and, and the Firebirds selected him fifth overall, and he was the first player to say, I'm in. And I remember him saying, I want to be a part of the solution. And not the problem and to hear that at the age of 15 16 just goes to show you the type of family and, and background that he comes from he has an amazing family amazing parents and support family um, and Ty so has gone on to be our first player after passing the trade deadline this past week or two weeks ago now uh, will be the first Firebirds player to start his career as a true rookie in Flint 
and end his career in Flint as well. And he has meant so much. He's already uh, got 57 points in 35 games this year. Um, he's on a, a four-game point streak right now. Um, in his last three games, he has known his last four games. He has like 17 points. Or I think it's his last three games. He has 14 points. He's averaging nearly four points a game at this point right now for the Firebirds. And that comes after winning a gold medal with Hockey Canada. Um, he was picked first round in the NHL by the Dallas Stars, 13th overall, while the, while the draft was in Dallas. So um, that was a pretty special moment to see him go to the host team, which means I, I was there doing video and social. So instead of just going to shake a few guys' hands and doing media, he's going into the locker room, going up to the president's suite, right? He's at his home building there and then waking up the next day I opened up the hotel room and newspaper on the ground and there's a picture of Delandria that you know I was fortunate enough to send in in, in a Firebird uniform on the front page right so um, Delandria has done some special things here some incredible things and right now uh, he's, he's that type of player he's the captain he's the franchise player he leads the franchise in goals assists and points nobody has more in any category uh, than Ty and he just did that towards the end of the uh, first half of the season here so uh, you know, Ty's played 11 games in the American League. I think he's played four preseason games in the NHL. Uh, he's a guy from Port Perry, uh, Ontario, the Oshawa area. Uh, and Delandria has just been everything for this franchise and, and a classy player, a class act. And, you know, he's one of those guys that even, you know, we're fortunate to have four different television news outlets, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox here in Flint. And whenever we do a media scrum you know, and Ty gets interviewed, I always see media members so like, wow, like, is that even a human? Like, he's just that good with people. Um, so I've thoroughly enjoyed working with Ty. He's made my job easy, and, and he means the world to me and, and our franchise. I know uh, something uh, we all three of us saw earlier this year was when Guelph, uh, sorry, Guelph hosted Flint uh, earlier this season uh, because Anthony Popovich, who won the OHL championship with Guelph last year uh, in net, is now with Flint. And uh, he was receiving his uh, OHL uh, ring. ring from the team. And they had a little bit of a pregame ceremony. And then uh, right after that, they had the ceremonial puck drop. And I, I just remember someone beside me saying, oh, I've never seen that before. The goalie's taking the face off. <laughs> and uh, that was all tied to Landria having that, you know, that presence, that leadership. He was supposed to take the face off, but he was like, no, this is his moment. Let him yeah. take the face off. Like, how, what a generous thing to do. Part for the core sounds just like Ty. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, one of your other players uh, that's a, a local guy. He's from Owen Sound, uh, our local viewing area. Connor Roberts, a guy who obviously was drafted third overall in the OHL draft by the Hamilton Bulldogs, and things didn't really work out maybe as well as he had hoped in that scenario. And then last year, of course, before things got really moving, um, he didn't. He got hurt and was gone basically for the year. Um, he's, he's obviously putting up a good, solid uh, season for you guys. Tell us about uh, Connor Roberts as a player right now. Yeah, it seems tough because you don't really have a full look at Connor a season ago. He only played 14 games, and uh, the year before that, um, you know, he, he came halfway through from Hamilton. So uh, this is Flint's first full season look at him. He's already played in a career um, high in, in one uh, uniform in one year in Flint in 45 games. 
teams. Uh, he's got 31 points on the season. It's a quiet good year, if you ask me. 30 points mm-hmm. in 45 games, and you know, still 20 some to go. He could put up easily 50 points in a year. Now, I think you know, being the third overall pick, you, you'd want to see that number higher. Uh, however, you know, we're happy to have Connor, and, and yeah, I know Connor uh, you know, loves playing back and Owen Sound grew up going to the attack games, and uh, right now he's uh, he's a key component to our success, and we're happy to have him. Now, uh, your team currently has uh, five players that have been drafted in the NHL. So let's shine a light on some of the other ones we haven't touched on yet. Uh, what does Tyler Tucker mean to the team since coming over from Barry? Yeah, he just came over from the Barry Colts. He's a seventh-round pick to the St. Louis Blues. Um, Ty is a, a player who should, has a great shot from the blue line. He's quarterbacking our power play now he's able to get pucks through uh you know the, the people in front of the net in front of the, the shooting or through the shooting lanes um kind of a big veteran defenseman six foot 205 and um you know he was barry's first round pick um as well back in 2016 14th overall and uh right now one of the things that i noticed about ty i said this on our broadcast on saturday versus guelph is he's probably in the five years i've been in flint the best defenseman i've seen at being able to keep pucks in the zone and what i mean that is is today i find that it's just too easy for, for for teams to clear the zone and guys try to use their stick which is an inch long their you know their shaft blade like you know and, and guys don't get their bodies in front of the puck and go you know last or all out to try to keep the puck in the zone i think tyler tucker does a good job at that that's what i've noticed that he brings to this team is keeping plays alive and keeping you know flint you know in the dangerous zone when when, when they're when they're pressuring and um that's one of the attributes that I, i'm looking forward to hoping that he continues this season and that defensive core also has uh Kolya chanuk who's a florida panthers draft pick so tell us a little bit about him yeah, second rounder to the Florida Panthers. He comes from Belarus as well, like Oxen Tooth. Firebirds acquired him off waivers. Um, the London Knights let him go on waivers, and Flint was able to grab him. Um, Kolya Chonuk, he's one of those players uh, that just eats, breathes, and sleeps hockey. Um, it is his life. Uh, when, when, when the team has an off day, he's coming to the rink. He's first one there. Let, last one out he'll shut the lights off he'll turn the lights on um he is just always on the ice always stick handling it's incredible how much effort and time he puts in um to uh his craft and you know hopefully that'll bode well for him and work out for him uh, down the line and then uh the fifth one uh that's been drafted so far was also uh, uh drafted uh by the team that was hosting the draft last year um uh, Ethan Keppen, sorry, <laughs> a, a mature moment there. Ethan Keppen, so yeah, what does uh, what does he bring to the table? Yeah, Keppen is one of those guys who wears his uh, heart on his sleeve. I mean, this is a guy who hates to lose and loves to win. Uh, you know, it sounds like that's pretty easy to say about anybody, but like he's really, you know, he puts his entire life into it as well. Um, Keppen's a fourth rounder to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and he uh, is another whippy Port Perry area native like Ty Delandria and Jake Durham, um, Brennan Othman for the Flint Firebirds. And, and Kepin, uh, he's a good power forward. He's strong in the corners. He plays with grit. He hits. Um, and the Vancouver Canucks got a good one in him. You know, he, he, he could be wearing, well, he is wearing a letter this year, um, you know, for half the games. And I think he'll be a full-time letter next season in Flint. 
you know, at the trade deadline, you, you picked up some some quality players, and one of those has really blossomed in the Flint uniform from the Barry Colts, Riley Piercy. I mean, in further 35 games with Barry, four goals, nine assists, 13 points, and he has absolutely exploded for Flint. Nine games, he has 13 points, including six goals. So, what what is going right for Riley Piercy at the moment? Uh, he's on a four-game point streak. He put up three points on uh, this past Sunday. He put up four points this past Wednesday, uh, and then two and ones. So uh, for him, having uh, ten points in four games, we're okay with that. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. four points in one game as well. Uh, but he was a first-round pick, and that's that. That that's that thing that you always hear people say. Well, why do you ever want to acquire a trade? Why do you want to acquire a player in a trade? They're not going to give up their players. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes a change of scenery is good for you and the Firebirds picked up uh, Riley Piercy and Tyler Tucker in that trade for Evan Beerling and boy is Riley Piercy come out this is his draft year and this is one of those examples of like how Flint could be so beneficial to some players throughout the OHL maybe not to look down on the Firebirds because Riley Piercy was not even on on the draft ratings and now look at him you continue to play like this you might find yourself drafted this year all thanks of course to your work ethic but how much ice time you got in Flint and the development you had in Flint um, and then the type of systems you had in Flint as well. And this goes to show why these CHL and junior teams are, are play critical roles in, in the future success of, you know, on the ice as well as off the ice as human beings. I know he certainly, uh, when we saw him last Saturday, I believe he was third star of the game and he played a really good game in the corners and along the boards. So I uh, played a bit of a physical presence as well as showing up on the score sheet. So Dom, uh, what, what is kind of striking you right now, um, looking at the, uh, the conference standings on either side, um, what's kind of jumping out to you on, on something that uh, fans should kind of keep an eye on? Well, one, I think the story of Kitchener has been incredible this season, how you were dead last and the GM, um, you know, let's go their head coach and takes over himself. And, yeah. Uh, uh, what are they on right now? They're on an 11 0 and 3 streak. They haven't lost regulation in 14 games. You know, the second half of the year, that's unheard of. So yeah. that's an amazing story. That's why they're first in the Western Conference. They'll be in Flint on uh, Saturday uh, this week. Um, that That's impressive to me. I think Saginaw is the team to beat this season. I haven't seen Kitchener since the transition, uh, but Saginaw between Cole Perfetti and Ryan Suzuki, and they're going to be unstoppable in my opinion um, as well. So those are the two things that jump out at me right now. Um, you know, I also find it strange how, how Guelph can go from being number one all season long to currently a 10-game losing streak. Just the ebbs and flows of hockey, it's truly incredible. Uh, but George Burnett is one of, if not the best GM head coach in the league. Um, and, you know, he'll write that ship real soon here. Yeah, you know, it, you bring up Guelph, and uh, they are the first team in OHL history to win 10 games in a season and lose 10 games in the very same season. It's never been done in OHL history. So I'm not really sure what to make of it. Um, Obviously, they, they, they've been lacking goaltending lately and, uh, and obviously have, have got Nico Dawes back from the World Juniors and then he got hurt and, and whatnot at the, at the CHL Top Prospect game and he's not very, he doesn't seem very sharp to me right now and so that hasn't helped, uh, unfortunately. And as good as he was with his 9.35 save, I mean, you know, they were unbeatable with him in net and now it, they're, they're very mortal at the moment and fighting for a playoff spot sitting in seventh in the conference and only five points ahead of ninth. And you know what, guys, in, in truth, that's pretty well where I thought they would be 
at the start of the season before we started all of this and it's been a crazy ride up and down and yeah. you know being on the CHL top 10 list and and being uh, the first team first in the Western Conference at Christmas but if you ask me where would they have been um, prior to the season I, I would have thought somewhere between seventh and ninth and that's exactly where they are mm -hmm. so it's just a, it's just crazy kind of how they've got there is is kind of the journey has been very strange that whole Western Conference has been so all over the place this year like as tight as it has been uh, we called a game earlier in Owen Sound where uh, both Owen Sound and Flint were on the CHL top 10 list at the time yeah. and now they've both kind of settled back into the middle of the pack and London was near the bottom, then London was near the top, and has Erie had any time on the CHL top no, 10? No, they, they've kind of just, they're, they're sitting in eighth, and they're, yeah. they've kind of always been between 10th and 7th kind of thing, so they haven't really been up there. But There's been so many teams have taken a turn on that top 10 list, though. It's yeah, and I mean, think about, I mean, the Windsor Spitfires, how good have they been this year? They're only two points out of the we the Western Conference lead, but they're actually fourth in the conference, two points out, and they've been uh, lights out on the CHL top ten list for a long time as well, and uh, been first in the Western Conference. It's just that crazy, and and uh, Flint now only seven points back of them. Bit of, as you said, Dom, bit of separation starting to go there, but uh, you know the way Flint's playing four zero zero and zero in their last four. Um, if they can keep that up, uh, they can certainly put some pressure on for home ice in the first round. Yeah, I think so for Flint to, uh, you know, be on a four-game winning streak at this point of the year, second half of the season, post-trade deadline, and again, acquiring all eight points in one calendar week, I think Flint's on the up and up, but I also think you find out this weekend how good they truly are. Windsor comes to town, or Flint is in Windsor Thursday, Flint's versus Erie Friday, versus Kitchener Saturday. We can find out how good this team is by the end of this weekend. Well, Dom, thanks so much for uh, taking some time. I know you have a really busy schedule there uh, looking after all things media with the Flynn Firebirds. So uh, I think this is your first uh, appearance on our show. It is, yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to have you on again, uh, share your insights. And thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me, and uh, go Firebirds. <laughs> That's Dominic Hennig, the play-by-play uh, -play voice and director of communications for the Flint Firebirds with us. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will talk about uh, some of the other hockey happenings around the NHL, the OHL, and a little bit more on Hockey Talk. Welcome back to Hockey Talk. Steve Fitzsimmons along with Andy Clark and a great guest, Dom Dominic Hennig, the play-by-play -play voice of the Flint Firebirds. Uh, we had a good chat with him. But uh, Andy, trivia time, as usual, brought to you by Hallman Motors. And uh, we have a really good prize this week. Tell us about what we have. We do. It's right here sitting on the table. This kind of uh, cool uh, rollback uh, Nor Quebec Nordiques uh, hat. It's an Adidas hat, pretty sharp looking one. Of course, uh, I don't think the Nordiques actually ever had a hat like this uh, <laughs> when the franchise still existed, but it's got the, the blue stitching on the black. Pretty if they did, they'd hat. still be around, of course. Absolutely, yeah, they'd definitely have some good sales there. So it's a very cool hat you can win if you uh, get this week's prize. Before uh, I give you this week's question, thanks, or not thanks, congratulations to Mike, who uh, was winner of last week. Uh, when you put in the correct answer, you get put into a draw, and he won four passes to a Hanover Barons home game of his choice. Yep. And uh, the question was, how many Stanley Cups did Mike Bossy win with the New York Islanders? 
And of course, they had four in a row in the early 80s, and Mike Bossy was there for all four of them. There you go. So uh, congratulations to Mike for being the winner of that. And if you want to get in on the sweepstakes for this one. What two OHL teams played a 2013 preseason OHL game in Hanover at the PH Center? And uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, uh, what you need to do there is email your answer to hockey talk, all lowercase, 913. So hockey talk 913 at whiteman.ca. And if you put trivia in the subject line, that just helps me uh, pick them out of the crowd and see that you've entered. So have the fun interesting with that one. thing, Andy, about that particular game, and of course, as you know, I was you know, the chairperson of that game and, and was par partially responsible for bringing it to Hanover. But um, there is a number of NHL players that played in that game, quite a few actually. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that another yeah, time. In a later episode, yeah. Yeah, but there was a lot of <laughs> NHL players here at the PH Center that day. Yeah, and my young son was, uh, I think, three or four. And uh, I dug out the pictures from that day. It was his first OHL game, and I showed him, and he was over the moon. He's like, I saw him play live, and I was like, yeah, and I'm not, I said him <laughs> on purpose, because we'll talk about that more later. <laughs> yes, we will. We'll uh, we haven't done a From the Clark guys yes, for a while. Yes, what do you got? So I got something prime here for, uh, if you're a history buff, if you're a hockey buff, if you're a hockey history buff, I've got some pretty cool stuff here. Um, so first of all, I'm going to put up the, the, the talking points, just as a bit of a, a teaser, but this Clark Ives is going to touch on a few things, including Canada's oldest twins, Howie Meeker, <laughs> Emile the Cat Francis, Cooney Wheeland, and a chair in the face. Uh, and how does that all come together? I'm, I'm very interested yeah, to hear this. Yeah, so uh, it all comes together. It actually all starts uh, in Hanover, Ontario. Come on. So uh, I've got to first uh, go to the next uh, the clip. I usually base these around a clip. So we'll put up the one. In this, uh, the headline says, former local hockey star may get professional trial. And uh, not a legal trial, but a tryout. That's the term they used back then. Right. So I actually came across this when I was uh, doing other hockey research. And uh, this is from a Hanover Post. Uh, I was researching some brothers from Lucknow. It's kind of a passion project of mine I've been working on for years. Uh, but as I was researching those uh, other brothers from Lucknow, I saw this clip in a uh, August 11th, 1944, Hanover Post. And uh, it's about a guy called Fred Wendorf. So he's kind of the star of our Clark Ives this week. And uh, Fred Wendorf was from Hanover. And there's some real history around that where I'm going to get to in just a moment. Uh, but he had been playing uh, intermediate hockey in Kitchener and was being offered a trial uh, with the New York Rangers of the National Hockey League. Wow. So I came across this several years ago while I was doing some research. And at the time, I did a bit of research and set it aside. And I did a little more research later and then you know, went down the rabbit hole recently and came up with quite a bit of stuff and, and filled in a lot of the blanks. Now, the first thing, the Canada's oldest twins uh, in Hanover, uh, some interesting local history is going way back to the 1870s there was a Canada famous and North America famous set of brothers, the Wendorf twins. Okay. And uh, I found even uh, reports from as far away as St. Petersburg, Florida, mentioning these brothers that were just kind of a curiosity. They, they uh, moved from Germany and they set up livery businesses, which would basically be like car rentals or, or heavy horses, machinery. Think, right? Yeah, livery. So they, they rented horses for, for right. work and for transport. 
So one of them set up one on one, the eastern side of town, and one set up one on the western side of town. <laughs> and apparently they were like ardent competitors in business. Oh, really? Yeah. But absolute best friends off of, the, off of it. So this was kind of a curiosity that would show up in the press across Canada, these pictures of these two identical twins that were business rivals, but best friends. So that was the Wendorf brothers. Uh, wow. They, they had fought in the... the Franco-Prussian War in the 1870s and then came to Canada, came to Hanover and uh, lived out their lives there. And they lived well into their 90s. Right. So that was the thing. They, they were referred to as Canada's oldest twins, these okay. Wendorfs. And of course, they had quite a few offspring. Uh, and many of them were outstanding baseball, lacrosse and hockey players. So Fred would be from the lineage from William and Charles, the oldest twins. Right. Uh, so the Howie Meeker part, uh, if you're of a certain age like me, in your minor hockey, they used to wheel an old projector or a VHS tape into a room, and you used to get to watch the Howie Meeker uh, instructional videos. Peter Puck. Yeah, Peter Puck and all that stuff. So how Howie Meeker comes into the story is as I was following the, the timelines with uh, Fred here, I found news reports, uh, a Globe and Mail article of him uh, playing junior in Brantford for the Brantford Lions. And uh, it just mentioned, uh, yeah, coming to town is Fred Wendorf of Hanover and Howie Meeker of Stratford. <laughs> so there you go, their paths crossed that they both, uh, I don't know if you ever actually played a they game They were the Brantford, two draws. But they were two, there was uh, out-of-towners brought in to play their junior uh, with uh, um, Brantford. Interesting. Now, from the tryout, of course, I was wondering, well, did he actually ever play pro? How did he and, do? Yeah. yeah. And I think you're getting ahead on me there. Yeah, we've got to go to that one. So 1944-45, the tryout, he obviously didn't land with the, the New York Rangers, but he did end up playing 12 games with the Washington Lions of the EHL. And at that point, uh, the franchises in the EHL had sort of bounced back and forth a bit with the American Hockey League. So, so. it was sort of equivalent level yeah. kind of thing, yeah. So it was kind of an equivalent there. Yeah, he had um, five points in 12 games. Yeah, he did all right there is, yeah. is a standout. So, and actually, as I got into the nitty gritty of the research, um, he came to them at the beginning of November, and then the team kind of went on a slide in December. So they let some players go so they could try bringing in some fresh blood. Uh, something I found out last night, though, that was interesting is the news reports about him coming to the Washington Lions all mentioned that he came to them from the storied Hershey Bears franchise. Okay. So, of course, I started digging around as much as I could um, to find out about that. And you can see here, here's a highlight. Fred Wendorf, a center loaned by the Hershey Bears. Um, so what I found out there was, uh, well, first of all, this is the pathway, I think. I have a hypothesis on how he got his NHL tryout. All right. The head coach of the Hershey Bears was a guy, a Hall of Famer by the name of Cooney Wheeland, who won Stanley Cups as a coach and a player with the Boston Bruins, also played with Detroit, also played with the Ottawa Senators, longtime head coach of uh, Harvard University, so a very storied player. But Cooney Wheeland is from Seaforth. Okay. And as much as I found that our friend Fred Wendorf, this Hanover guy, um, had played a lot in Kitchener. He had played a little bit uh, for the Owen Sound Grays. Um, it turns out that right before he got this tryout, he had also played in the playoffs for the Seaforth Intermediate Team. Bingo. The Seaforth Beavers. So I says to myself, well, he goes from playing for the Seaforth Beezer Beavers 
to being on the Hershey Bears, coached by a guy from Seaforth. From Seaforth. So there's somehow there must be a Seaforth connection. Somebody made a phone call, or he maybe saw him, or who, we don't know. But yeah, or friends or family or yep. whatever. I don't know the exact story. I just managed to find at least one box score of him playing in Seaforth and uh, connected the dots with Cooney Whelan, the coach. So that leaves us two more points from right. the beginning there. And Emil the Cat Francis, uh, you can probably see on this one, uh, with the Washington Lions, their standout player was Emil the Cat Francis, who, goal, yeah. who was an NHL goaltender after that, but probably much more famous as a, a GM yeah, for sure. in, in the NHL, a very storied player himself. So to finish this all off with the chair in the face, uh, is um, still filling in some of the blanks, blanks on Fred Wendorf's uh, hockey journey, but we actually have to fast forward all the way to 1966, and no, he wasn't still playing, but he had played an awful lot of hockey in Kitchener, so I assume that's where he returned to, and the headline we're seeing right now says, assault charge against Ems is withdrawn, and it talks about a uh, Kitchener Auditorium usher by the name of Fred Wendorf. <laughs> And apparently there'd been a brouhaha and a player from the Niagara Falls Flyers was being ejected and some of the Kitchener Rangers fans went after this player. And it doesn't spell out all the details, but it mentions the, the Niagara Falls coach being uh, charged with assault and mentioning that our friend uh, Fred Wendorf had got a chair in the face. <laughs> so I guess Whoa. the inference is that when Fred Wendorf went to help his player, he must have misconstrued what was going on. and. <laughs> Unless, unless it was one. from a fan, but they're mentioning the coach was charged with assault, so I think our, our Fred Wendorf got a chair in the face from the Niagara Falls coach. So, yeah, so it says at the end here, Fred Wendorf, an usher at the Kitchener Auditorium, was struck in the face when he went to the aid of John Arbor, a Niagara Falls player, struggling with fans after he'd been thrown out of the game. So there you go. And you know what? If you have any more information about Fred Wendorf, you can uh, email me at hockeytalk913 at whiteman.ca. I'd love more details and uh, got to continue fleshing out that story. I am, I, I'm just riveted in the last five minutes <laughs> listening to that, that you spin that tale. It was, uh, that's, that's an incredible story. And oh, good. God awesome, God, yeah, awesome yeah. work. I'm sure people at home are, you know, just uh, reveling in, in quite quite the tale that you have just spun for us on Hockey Talk. So well done. Yeah, do you kind of feel like a private investigator when you start, you know, filling in the blanks and filling in the timelines? And it all started here. Uh, Who knew he could tie it all together? Those categories he, he put up on the screen to start. Was, yeah, <laughs> the, the chair there. in the face. Yeah. I was wondering where that was going to go. So and, that was very interesting. Well done. And it all started uh, as junior. All started with the Hanover Junior C Transports. In 1941, so there you go. Who said you couldn't get to the New York Rangers from Hanover, right? There you it's go. It's been done. Cool story. There's so many cool stories out there, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? You do a great job of telling some of those, so thanks for sharing that with us. What did you think about uh, the All-Star uh, experience this weekend? Uh, I know, you know, I know you didn't watch it, but you saw some of the highlights and, and highlights, things. Highlights, yeah. Um, just kind of your thoughts on what people are saying about of, of that whole thing. Yeah, for past years, you know, it's the, the All-Star weekend is kind of a... Not my thing as much per se, but I will say this. Bravo to them for including uh, uh, girls uh, or women hockey players a little bit more in the, the pr process. I think yeah. that's a step forward. The NHL is not always the quickest to move forward, right. but that definitely was a good one. And, uh, you know, it was a good weekend for certain people like Anthony Duclair. Yeah. Nice to see him on his comeback story. And, uh, yeah, the whole three-on-three, -three, I guess, is Tyler Bertuzzi, too. I'm really happy for Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. Played for Guelph. 
um, when we went to the Memorial Cup and uh, obviously plays for the Detroit Red Wings. Been a tough year for them. Been a for tough sure, year yeah. for them. He was their choice to go to the All-Star game and he scored a goal. So I'm happy for Tyler Bertuzzi. A hard-working story to get to the NHL. He was a guy who, you know, really didn't, you know, despite his last name, he was an eighth or ninth round pick, I can't recall completely, in the Ontario Hockey League by the Guelph Storm. He basically was a physical player, even though he was fairly slight at the time, to make the Guelph Storm and, and earned his way all the way to being a star player and, and, and being a second round pick of the Detroit Red Wings. And he was ranked very low in the NHL draft at that time. They really stepped up to take him. Uh, my recollection is maybe like 190 or something. And then he gets drafted late in the second round. And people are like, really? That's mm -hmm. a reach for Tyler Bertuzzi. But it wasn't as, as we found out in the, in the long run. So uh, congratulations insight, Tyler yeah. to Bertuzzi on and everything he's accomplished and continues to, to do for the Detroit Red Wings. I'd say one of the coolest things is that they brought back some retired players for the hardest shot competition. Right. So it was cool to see that Al McGinnis, like, what is he, 56, 54? Yeah. And he's still able to crank it over 100 miles an hour. And I think he still used an old wooden stick, too. <laughs> so imagine if you got a hold of one of the carbon, you'd probably put it through the back of the net. I would if be. he uh, used one of those modern day, uh, modern you could, you could probably still stick him on a power play from the point and he'd still get some points. Do all right he there, just, yeah. He can't skate like he did, but it, boy, if, he could sure shoot the puck. Of course, there was a, an American Hockey League uh, uh, player, was it Frick, uh, hit 109 miles right, an hour yeah. on their skills competition. Speaking of Al McGinnis, actually, you're saying lacing them up, uh, a guest we had on a few years ago uh, was a defensive partner of his, uh, Jamie McCallan. So maybe Jamie we should McCallan. just take a mention just to say that his father, uh, Charlie, yeah. who was a very uh, active in hockey in the Newmarket area, just right. passed away this week. So there's our uh, sending our condolences to the, the McCallum family in Newmarket. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, a, a bit of an upset maybe for a lot of people was Connor McDavid not winning the fastest uh, skater for once. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. It was a bit of a surprise maybe for some. Yeah. I think I, I actually would be happy if they did away with the three-on-three -three element and uh, just did the skills competition. Right. And with guys like Ovi and such sitting out, and, and Austin Matthews, you know, all of a sudden coming up with a, a wrist injury that he can play. <laughs> but he has 19 goals in, in his last 20 games. He's, yeah. The wrist is working okay. <laughs> playing his best, yeah. Now, just, are they making him? Are they it's a one-game suspension. It I'm is, not sure yeah. if he, it is for him. I know Ovi is. I can't recall if yeah, he Yeah, for Ovi him. for sure. But I, I didn't know if they'd, because uh, I think that's going to raise some eyebrows if yeah, he gets probably. a free pass. I think they're going to have to sort of do the fake wrist injury for one more game and yeah. then, uh, then they're covered. But yeah, like I can see them too, right? They don't want to plus and minuses if they can stay fresher. And Ovi's looking to go deep into the playoffs. So that rest means more to him at this point. And he's what, 34 right now? Yeah. So it's actually quite sensible. So it's too bad though, whoever those fans are that had tickets for that game after. I think pretty much anyone buying tickets immediately after the All-Star game for the Washington Capitals need to be buyer beware that, you know, Ovi's not going to be there. And I'm not actually criticizing Ovi on that. No, I'm not either. Yeah, so. No, I think that's, you know, fair point. And yeah, there needs to be more of a policy on how that should work. But I don't see a problem with a, a star player resting for, you know, the All-Star break, I think. But at the same time, maybe it's time to reevaluate what the all-star game actually is because it's not i don't think it's that enjoyable to watch really mm -hmm. it, it's more of a i think it's more of a corporate thing for all the nhl sponsors to tr to trot out all the players to to, to kind of 
um, have a showcase for those people and, and some of the fans obviously too, but, but I think it's more of a, co a corporate schmoozing type thing these days than maybe what it was in the past. And you know what, there's not a lot of competitive fire to it either. No. And I think that's part of the problem for it too. Absolutely. Um, we have about four and a half left, so let's uh, throw up the graphic. Uh, about a month or so ago, I uh, did a comparison between Nylander and Duclair. Oh yes, here we go. And I started back in uh, November and Nylander, yes, he's a good player, but my big thing is like the $9 million, I think they got way ahead of themselves. Uh, it's a 7 million cap hit. It goes down to 6 million over the next four years, but I just kind of feel he's being paid way above where he's produced. Um, and then just sort of pointing out that there is value out there if you look for it. Uh, now we can see that their previous career high in goals, both of them have uh, surpa surpassed that. Oh, actually, I think we must have the. So those, one just up. for those that yeah. weren't that weren't aware of what Anth uh, what Andy's talking about, he's had a, an ongoing comparison between Anthony Duclair of the Ottawa Senators and William Nylander of the Leafs to, to yeah. point out that Duclair at 1.65 versus 9 million for uh, Nylander, the numbers are are pretty similar, really. In some ways, yeah. Yep. We can see at this point now, uh, sorry, we had the December one up, now we have uh, the January one. So Nylander has started to uh, get a little hot and he's starting to throw up the points. Uh, he's beat his previous career best in goals, which was 22, and he's sitting at 23. And of course, Duclair had done this last time we spoke. Right. Since then, he's had a bit of a shoulder injury, so uh, he missed a few games. Uh, so. Nylander for his $9 million this year is sitting at 45 points and for his $1.65 million Duclair is sitting at 33 points. Uh, extending beyond that though, if we get into the intangibles, we see that in hits, uh, Nylander still has not got into double digits. Well, that's just not his game, let's it's be honest. It's not his game, but you think you'd accidentally fall into someone. Well, he has nine that. times. <laughs> yeah, apparently. like. Yeah, and then Duclair seven block shots. Yeah. And I know he's not necessarily, but I don't know, just for the money. Doesn't sit well for you? I'd like to see people do more. For $9 million a season, I expect you to be giving in all aspects of the game, right? Uh, Duclair here we see has 43 hits, uh, 30 blocks. Uh, ice time, Nylander actually gets about a minute and a half more per game. Still, he's averaging one second on the penalty kill. Uh, whereas Duclair is still one of the primary, his, his numbers have actually gone down. It was 111 uh, back in November. So he's right. gone down a little bit, but he's still one of the primary penalty killers. Uh, and they both have pretty similar power play time there. So the other thing is Duclair is doing it with less ice time and with less, and less star power around player him. players around him, yeah. Yeah, so, and the other thing is he's an RFA. So if you weren't happy with what he's doing for you, you can let him pretty much walk away at the end of the year. So I'm not down on William Nylander, I'm just down on overpaying for players. Because we were talking about uh, Nick Backstrom last week, you know, when he started getting to the $6 million range, which Nylander will be in soon, he had already had an 80-point season and a 100-point season, yeah. uh, whereas Nylander topped out at 61. It's a lot of money for 61 points. It's just the way the world has changed in terms of... Um, overpaying people for 
what you think they might do as opposed to what they've already done. And that's unfortunate. Certainly yeah. we've seen it with young players. That's just the trend of NHL general managers. And, you know, um, they are going to uh, make huge mistakes in doing it that way. I think Absolutely. there's no question about that. Absolutely. Um, so we have 42 seconds left. So we should just uh, tee up next week where we're going to have a phone conversation with big Daniels Weep who uh, won a provincial championship, or sorry, an OHL championship with no on sound, uh, sound Attack and is currently a video and player development coach with the Barry Colts of the OHL. That'll be very interesting to talk to Daniel about uh, his experiences as a player and now helping the players, so that'll be a good one for sure. And you know what, uh, there was a pretty good goalie on that Owen Sound Attack team at the time too, so yeah, I'm sure he'll have well. some insight. He's wearing a Stanley Cup ring this year from last year, so uh, that's all the time we have for Hockey Talk. We'll see you next week right here.